This episode, you and I are going to find out more about staying at the top of your personal success story in marketing and in life. Let's get some sage advice together with SEO queen, business mentor and author, Kate Toon. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to the Content Rebels. Marketing, business, life. None of it happens in a vacuum. And if you're anything like me, you've got seven or 70 billion balls in the air and are busy working out which one you'll need to catch first. Fortunately, Kate Toon has been there and she's here to help us now. Kate is the head beast, as she calls herself, of her Stay Tuned empire, which includes the Digital Marketing Collective, the Recipe for SEO Success, and the Clever Copywriting School. Kate has worked for some of the most prestigious agencies out there, but she left that all behind when she had her son, and instead created her own success through what began as a copywriting business specialising in SEO, and grew into multiple coaching courses and business communities. She is also someone I've known for a long time, so I was especially happy to get her on the Content Rebels. Very excited. What a great name for a podcast. And she's written yet another book, Six Figures in School Hours. It's very annoying that in the busiest time in your family life is often the busiest, biggest growth time in your business. We'll get to that later. From the outside, you might be forgiven for thinking that Kate has made all the right decisions at all the right times. But if you know her, or follow her, even just a little bit, you'll know she does falter and question her own decision-making quite openly. Nevertheless, she seems to get it right most of the time anyway. So I asked her if she's always had a sense of what to do next in her business. Of course, I am an omnipotent being of, of awesomeness that plans every step. Absolutely not. You know me, Sarah. I'm a stumbling, bumbling fool most of the time. So I kind of feel in my business like, you know, that sensation when you're running down a hill and you briefly feel in control and then all of a sudden you're not and your legs are just doing the, and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to fall over. I feel like I felt like that for quite a lot of my business. These days, not so much. Um, I've never been a planner. I've never written a business plan, a marketing plan, a content strategy. Sarah loves a strategy. Um, I am very iterative in my development. I am very organic in my growth. And yeah, that's both my superpower and my kryptonite because it means I'm open to every new experience. I'm willing to try stuff out. There's no real sense of failure because I never set myself up to have a success in the first place. But, it, you know, it's a bit kind of like, you know, don't know what's happening next. So it's, it's good and bad. You don't ever feel failure? No, not really. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, because, you know, I don't set metrics for success. So, you know, like I've done it before. I've, I think I've told you this story. I've, I've only got three stories and I just wheel them out again and again. I, you know, I set a target to have 5,000 followers on Instagram. Um, and a year later, I had the same that I'd started with probably like four more. Um, every time you get a follow on Instagram, you seem to lose three. It's really bizarre. Um, but in that time I'd launched the recipe for SEO success and the clever copywriting school. So I often will create a goal and then do everything I can to avoid doing it. I have, I think it's called 
objectional defiance disorder. I may have made that up. No, it is. Uh, yes, Cherie Clonan and I talked about this. It's. I will figure out the term. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but essentially, I don't like doing what I'm told, mm-hmm. even if it's by myself. So I curse yesterday me a lot of the time who set up the day, like today, setting up this day and getting all the times wrong. I curse yesterday me a lot, um, but no, I never feel like a failure because I don't. I don't set myself up for failure. That makes sense. Mm, I love that. I think I need to try that. Uh, Yeah, it's pathological demand avoidance. It's best understood as an anxiety-driven need to be in control and avoid other people's demands and expectations. I mean, isn't that just like, well, that just explains pretty much everybody I know. (laughs) Yeah, no, mine's different. Mine, Mine actually is objectional defiant disorder, which is... Uh, uncooperative, defiant, and hostile towards peers, parents, teacher, and other authority figures. Uh, they are more troubling to others than they are to themselves. That is my, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. I am more <laughs> troubling to others than I am to myself. So I think mine's slightly different. Okay. It's not coming from anxiety, although I have terrible anxiety. It's coming from the fact that I don't think, I, I think I know what to do is best. You know, I am uncoachable. I've tried, I tried to have a book coach for my book, Poor Woman. I'm still apologizing to it for this day. Um, I'm uncoachable. I'm unbiddable. I'm, you can't tell me what to do. And even I can't tell myself what to do, which is a real problem. But you have had so much success. Yes. I ha- to a degree. I mean, success. I'm doing air fingers. Um, you know, I, I, I've kept on keeping on. I think that's my biggest skill. Yeah. Persistence. Persistence. Yes, indeed. Mm, mm. And well, your new book, Six Figures in School Hours, it talks to, to marketers and working parents in general. And the mantra of the book, of course, is the world will wait. Um, now, this is, of course, something we have talked about. Uh, in fact, it's the exact phrase. I believe I was the first person you said this to. Well, the first to. recipient, yes. The first recipient of this sage advice that in, uh, I think it was probably early or late 2016, early 2017, um, when I was feeling very conflicted about taking maternity leave just as my business was growing. And you, you and I sat on a call. I don't know why we weren't. We were in a, we were in a bar, Sarah. She doesn't remember it. We were in a bar in the rocks. It was in the Palisades. Oh, yes. And we stood at the bar. We had that. We did have other conversations, but that was the conversation where I really think, I don't know, it was like a copy yeah. school meetup or something. And that's how. Yeah. The first time you and I met in real life then. Yeah. And we've obviously gone on to have, you know, close connection and good, good business friendship, good friendship, friendship. But you, it's funny, I feel like you told me that over Zoom, but you told me that in person, you're right. And you told me absolutely the world will wait and boy, did it ever. So why <laughs> why do you think that particular phrase has been so impactful, not just for me, but I know the many other people you've, you've said it to as well? Well, it's something I should have said to myself, I guess, is the thing, because like everybody else um, and most business people and entrepreneurs, uh, we're insatiably impatient. We want what we want and we want it now. And our culture supports that amazon prime you know i order something like temu blooming temu it's the bane of my life i've just discovered temu i'll get rid of it it's the devil's work um i just described myself as the as the the wish version of amy porterfield but i think it's like i'm the temu version of amy porterfield cheaper more affordable and probably is going to break down in a couple of weeks but anyway we're so used to being impatient and that, that breeds into imposter syndrome and comparisonitis. We see Sue is speaking at such and such event. Why aren't I speaking at an event? Even though I've only been running my business for six days, why aren't I speaking at that event? I want it. I want it now. And um, 
it did not serve me that impatience. It really did not serve me over the years. And and if I had my time again as a sage old business person, I would do things very differently, you know, because I will never get back that opportunity to take my son to the park or to play Lego. And while, you know, I talk about this in the book, while you can't sit and stare at your child all day making organic muffins, you, you know, I could have sat and stared a bit more than I did. And I'll never have that chance again. Gosh, yeah, so true. And it did, you know, I, I took that advice. I made another human. I made another human. I all, I, I'm like you in that I find it very difficult to do what other people tell me to do and even what I tell myself. But I, for some reason, that phrase, that advice stuck with me. And I did. I shut the whole thing down, did. made another human. I had a, a proper maternity leave, which I didn't have with the first with our first baby because we had no money and I needed to start freelancing. And that's when you and I first connected. And I did, I took that time and then the world did wait. And as we were saying before, now look what I've done to myself. <laughs> well, you came back bigger and stronger. You know, sometimes you need to take two steps back to take five steps forward. You know, you had some time to kind of marinate and cogitate and work out who you wanted to be and establish that you didn't want to be a freelancer. And you had the capability of running an agency, which many people cannot do, myself included. Um, and I think by separating yourself from yourself, you found yourself. And that's a bit existential. And this is your podcast. So why am I psychoanalyzing you? But it was a glorious thing to watch from the sidelines. You know, I use you as an example far too often <laughs> of someone who's done exceedingly well. And I know that it's come at a cost at times, but yeah, you've, you've done amazingly. It's, it's terrifying. I have to stop here because from the outside, it may look like I've done amazingly well too. And I'm, I am really proud of my achievements. But my struggles have been so similar to pretty much every other working parent out there, just like Kate was talking about. Finding that balance between time with your kids and time for work, it isn't easy. And when we reflect, most of us probably feel that we don't get it right. And it's something that us working parents are, of course, constantly reevaluating. You know, is there a perfect balance? How does it change as our kids get older? Like, I just, I don't know the answer and I'm definitely yet to find the right balance. But the truth is, Kate has been vital in cheering me on through my business journey. And that bit of gold advice that Kate gave me all those years ago, that the world will wait, it did help me because I put my business to the side for a little while and focused on growing my family instead. So when it comes to waiting, I was wondering, when is the right time? Should we always be pushing forward and only stop when we absolutely need to, like when we're about to push out a human? Or is there some other thing that we should be looking out for, like a signal somehow? I guess what I'm asking is, when it comes to business decisions, is waiting for the right time important? I think it's unimportant. Um, you know, my line is, it's written on my bookmark. You know, if you wait to get all your ducks in a row, one of them will likely be dead. So I'm a big believer in just cracking on um, because most of us learn as we go. You know, there are perennial course takers who buy book after book and course after course to try and get this sense of confidence. But really, we learn best by doing. Um, and all the bad things that are going to happen happen and they're not as bad as we think they're going to be. You know, you can, my mom is classic at scenarioizing. She'll come up with eight different scenarios and invest so much energy. But really, only ever one of those scenarios comes to pass, you know? And it, so, yeah, I, I don't think there is a right time. 
And I think everything, I think it's Marie Folio's got a book saying everything's undoable, doable or something. I don't know, but everything's workable, outable. You know, so the reason I was late for the podcast today, embarrassing, was that I'm taking on somebody to manage to be an executive assistant, right? I've tried a few times before. It hasn't worked out. I could think, well, it because it hasn't worked before, it won't work again, but that's not true. Um, I could plan it better. I could do a better job description, but I really won't know until she starts and we see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, so I don't think there is a right time. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it, it's that whole concept of, you know, done is better than perfect. Yes. And it's something I actually, I think I really struggled with because I'm such a, a perfectionist, recovering perfectionist, but I, I really struggled. Uh, and I think a lot of, you know, freelancers and small business owners listening would would also agree with when you're really in the weeds of doing what you do in the business as well as working on the business, it's very easy to really kind of hold on white knuckled to the detail and to the perfectionism because you are your brand and it's the whole thing. But actually, as we got as here at Content Copywriting, Content Rebels, we got busier and busier and busier. I had to let go because I couldn't do it all. And that's actually when the real growth happened was when I stopped waiting for the right timing. But I think it's confidence. So perfectionism is the, is the output of insecurity you know, of the feeling you're not enough because perfectionism, like if I get everything right, people won't realize that I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm not confident. If I dot every I and cross every T, then they won't realize that I fundamentally feel like I'm not enough. But as time goes on, you realize that you are enough and and you get more confident and you're like, you know, someone finding a typo in my email does not even, it, it doesn't even cause a chink in my armor anymore. It just slips off me like, water off an oily duck. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't have an impact anymore because I am not my brand. We are our brands, but we're also not our brand. I am not that typo. I am not that email sent to 6,000 people with the word Willie in it by accident. I, I am me and I am imperfect and that is okay. But that just takes confidence. Believe me, in my early years, I was exactly the same, but it was it was perfectionism, I think, is the flip side of, of insecurity. Yeah, that's so absolutely so true. I think I've spoken before as well about how another kind of big shackle came off me when I really started owning the fact that I don't know everything. I mean, that's actually the, know, that's glorious. Yeah. The whole premise for this podcast is the fact that I've spent the last few years like head down managing the growth of this business, which has been amazing, but I'm like really quite far behind <laughs> on some of the trends that I really should be on top of, but I don't I don't claim to know everything. I don't claim to that we've, you know, that we even do everything the inverted commas right way within our business. We're all growing all the time, learning all the time. But like, I think that the pressure that it took off my shoulders by actually really owning the fact that, yeah, like I know what I'm good at, but even the things I'm good at, I'm not always great at because everything evolves and changes all the time. Well, it's the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it? The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I'll tell you, when I started in um, SEO, I was terrified of teaching the course because I didn't want people to ask anything outside the parameters of what I knew. I wouldn't let people post questions because I wanted to be able to read them and research the answer before I, I let them be posted. I didn't want to speak at events in case someone put their hand up and said, that's not true. And then now I remember going to a conference and seeing some bloke, it's always a bloke in it. And someone said, hey, bloody blah, blah, what's the answer to this? And he went, I don't know. And I was like, what? You're allowed to say that? You know, like you're allowed to say you don't know the answer. And, and it's so 
freeing, you know, and actually when you take that shackle, as I, as you described it, I love that off, it actually opens you up to learn more as well, because I was so rigid, you know, and now I'm like, I'm wrong. Really? Okay, cool. Teach me, teach me, tell me what I've got wrong. You're doing my job for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you know what I mean? But that takes a lot of, again, it's confidence, isn't it? Confidence. It all comes back to confidence. Kate gained the confidence to say, I don't know. And she became the SEO queen anyway. Or maybe that was because she was comfortable enough to say, I don't know. And that's why she got to where she is. But given she is the SEO queen, let's talk about the things she does know for a moment. Because there are quite a few. It's true the world has changed an awful lot in the past few years. And staying at the top of the SEO game is relentless. So I wanted to know if Kate thinks that brands do still need a full-time SEO expert. Or does today's CMO have to be an expert in all the things SEO, content marketing, AI, performance paid, the list goes on and on. I mean, I guess it depends on the size of the company. You know, like if you've got 100 people in your marketing team, they're not. Do you know what I mean? There's a little team responsible for it. If you are like a three-person band, then yeah, you do. So I think it depends on on the team. And do you need to be an expert or do you need to know an expert? Do you need to have a source of truth? I've always found it very important to have a couple of sources of truth and then ignore the noise. So, you know, there's a lot of noise about chat GCP and AI and generative AI at the moment, but a lot of it we don't know yet. So these are people, these are pundits. These are people saying, I think this might happen. I think that might happen. I'm guessing that this is the way it's going, but we don't know yet. And again, it's that scenarioizing. 99% of what SEO experts talk about never happens. You know, three years ago, it was like voice, four years ago, voice search is going to change the internet. Did it? No, not at all. You know, yes, you know, if you search for something on your Google, whatever, it gives you one result. But the way that people use voice tools is very different to how people search. You know, like what time is it, Google? That was never a search term anyway. Do you know what I mean? What's the weather tomorrow, Google? <sighs> Where's the best pizza place? You know, is, is Coles open? Those searches were never going to get us heaps of traffic and conversion anyway. So I think it's the hardest thing as a marketeer is, is working out what to ignore. Um, keeping up with SEO is relentless, but I'd say a large part of it hasn't changed in a very, very long time. And even with all this new stuff, I'm literally writing my presentation for the, I'm doing a summit called the AI Summit. You should come, Sarah, you'd enjoy it. Um, and I'm writing my chunk, which I'm going to cover off SEO. Do I want to? No, because I don't want to be the SEO queen anymore, but that's a whole different conversation. But I'm writing about it. And it, you know, the, the message is still that the bots don't have experience. They don't have sensation. They don't have insights. They don't have feelings. They don't have sense. They can't smell or touch or feel. And also they're pulling on data, some of them from a couple of years ago. They have inherent bias. Uh, you can even, you can say, tell me what facts to check. But then if you're going to have to go and check your facts, is it really worth generating the content in the first place? And so far, you know, I am, I do still struggle to find a use for chat GTP in my day to day because I will just relentlessly rewrite everything. And I'd rather start with a blank page. And the, the final point on this has got nothing to do with SEO. I think part of being a great content marketer is the ability to start with a blank page. And if you take that away, I fear that that muscle will atrophy, that mental muscle. Yeah. I, uh, we, we, we're going to do a chat GPT lunch and learn type masterclass. And I just, I got busy. I didn't, but I have written the presentation and it's, it is literally called 
how to leverage ChatGPT so that it doesn't fuck with your creativity. Yes, exactly. People are like, oh, it gets rid of the blank page. I want to get rid of the blank page. Yeah. The blank page is what makes us human. Don't take mm-hmm. away the blank page. The robots should be cleaning our toilets, not filling our blank pages. So yeah, yeah but it is relentless. Do, do, to answer your question, I answered a very long way. Should a CMO be an expert in everything? I think it's impossible to be an expert in everything. So if if SEO is an important part of your strategy, which it should be 69% of all transactions start with a Google search still, um, I think at least 69% of your knowledge should be SEO related. Yeah. Or you should know experts and ignore the rest. I love that advice because, yeah. And it's it's also, we, I knew someone a little while ago who talked a lot about um, SEO as being an art form, which I totally am aligned with. And then I thought about the fact, well, think about how many different artists there are and mediums and you know art forms. And so if SEO is an art, then there must also be many different practices and art forms in relation to SEOs. So there's so many different ways you can come at it and you can, you know, come at it from a purely performance-based and A-B test the shit out of your website and, you know, do all of that stuff, or you can focus on human you know, audience-led content. And, you know, there's just so many different ways to tackle it. It's such a massive beast. But I also love that that whole premise that it really is an art form because that also takes the pressure off having to know it all. Exactly. And most of us, most of us are SEO Jackson Pollocks, if we're honest. We're just throwing shit against the wall and hoping it works out. You know, we're not Rembrandt. We are, we are Pollocks. So that's, that's the quote of the podcast. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Be more Pollock. Yeah, I love it. Do you feel like a solely SEO-focused strategy is sufficient in 2023 and beyond? Or are you seeing that shift that I feel like I'm seeing as well, that shift towards digital content marketing as being a necessary overall strategy of which SEO is a part? I I never believed in a solely SEO strategy. I've never, ever thought that's from day dot. Do you know what I mean? So I mean, the first milestone of an SEO campaign is to be found for your own brand. That's the easiest thing. It's always going to be easier to be found for who you are than, than what you do. And how do you build a brand? Not through SEO. You build it through social media, build it through video. And then, you know, SEO gets people to your door, but then you need to use CRO and conversion tactics to drag them through. And then once you drag them through, you need to nurture them with email sequences and loyalty programs and Facebook community. Nah, it, it, it's a t- it's a tool in the toolkit. Is it is it an important tool? Yes, very very important. Is it more important than fretting about your hashtag on some Instagram post you've done? Yes, absolutely. But is it the only tool? No, no, not at all. Never was. Never never will be. Yeah. And what about that then for you? Because you've obviously, you invested a lot and continue to in SEO in terms of for your own business. And you started as as a copywriter and then built on that with the SEO stuff. And now that, you know, digital master chefs and everything. How did you change your brand from an SEO perspective over time? Well, you know, we're being honest here. I've not done any significant SEO on any of my brands in five years. So yes, I used SEO to build my business. When the early days, I did the things that worked then, which don't work now. You know, like blogging every week. That was a really fast route to success back then. These days, it's a lot harder. You know, you have to have a proper strategy with pillars and waterfalls. Sarah can tell you about that. But back in the day, you could throw any old crap up and it would work. You know, I did guest blogs. I did backlink building. I did keyword research. And yes, that's how I got 
to where I got to. Um, did a local SEO, a bit of e-commerce SEO. These days, I do no SEO whatsoever. I haven't researched a keyword in years because I am my brand. I went down the personal brand route. Love me or hate me. People are not searching for SEO course if they want me. They're searching for Kate Toon SEO course. And I don't need to do SEO for that. You know, if I was going after like Robot AI Summit, you know, if I wanted to be known for AI Summit, I would have to go through a whole process for that. But I don't. I want people to come to Kate Toon's AI Summit. So I I don't do SEO and much anymore. But I wondered if I say that I don't do avert SEO. Everything I do is thinking about the structure of the content. What H1 have I chosen? How am I building backlinks? You know, like I'm doing a lot of uh, digital PR for my book. You know, I'm doing it ostensibly to get my book out to any audience, but every post I do builds a backlink. I'm careful about the phrases I use. You know, there's yeah. there's SEO method to my madness, but it's not as overt as it used to be. Yeah. No, I, that makes absolute sense. And you're right. It is so much harder to to rank and to gain traffic unless you're putting in significant effort to particular topics and, and all the rest. I think a lot of brands are still keen for those wins. We, I mean, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, you know, it was keyword stuffing and how many times can you say holidays in Malaga uh, in an article, you know, that kind of thing. But it is... Um, shocking how many how many people still think that works. So it's really shocking. True. But it is, um, I actually love that it it is harder now because it means that we have so much more opportunity to talk about the actual reader, the actual audience and to focus in on them and not just the performance side, like, oh, there's, you know, 2,000 searches for this per month. So even if it doesn't completely align to your business, let's just hammer it all in there. Like you've got to be more strategic, which as you said, I absolutely love. <laughs> uh, okay. So what what are three SEO strategies or techniques or based on our conversation just there, even what are three the three kind of brand building techniques that you know that all businesses and brands should be engaging with this year? I think it's fundamentals. You know, I, I do think if you're coming out with new products and services, you should survey the landscape first. You know, when I chose my book title, Six Figures in School Hours, just dropping that in there. It wasn't like I just pulled that out of my bottom. I did Google it and I'm coming up with the title for my next book. And I probably inputted 300 titles into Google and most of them are gone, right? So I think branding is still very important. Thinking of a unique brand name or, or, or finding new territories is really, really important for your products and services. I think, you know, really sitting down and establishing, again, this is marketing 101, your values, your personality, who you want to be in this world, what do you stand for? What do you, what will you not stand for? I think, you know, the last couple of years have really taught us, and this is something you do with your brands really well, is people want to buy from brands whose values are aligned with their own. So how do they know if you're aligned? You have to tell them. You have to demonstrate it. And it has to be demonstrated. It can't be exposition. You can't be like going, we're so generous. We're so generous. We're so generous. You have to like, you know, do posts around the fact that you've just donated some money to an otter sanctuary. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I think that brand personality work is still crucial from an SEO perspective and a marketing perspective. And then I think the most important thing in this period is finding your humanity. Like if you are not human, you're in big trouble. If you are, if you're a bit of an automaton, uh, you know, your content needs to show your experience, your joy, your sadness. It needs to emote. It needs to tell a story. Um, that has always been important since we were sitting around the, the fire outside the cave. 
And it's even more important in these years of, of Terminator uh, to try and find your humanity because content has always, it's been a commodity for a while, right? Churning out 300 word articles. This is not new. We've known about this for years. Dodgy SEO agencies have been doing this for years. It just got easier with AI. There's been shit content for ages. It's just got easier to make and we need to stand against commoditized content. Mm, absolutely. And I do wonder about the you know, success anyway of content that is so homogenized because like mm. it'll be really interesting to see as this year plays out whether or not it it I, like I think from what we're seeing is that AI content um can sometimes perform well initially, but it's like whether it stands the test of time. Uh, I was just on a, a call with a client yesterday and we were talking about um their products being potentially uh, okay to be used with pets, even though they're technically for humans. And I brought up the fact that uh, in 2018, I wrote, uh, did some keyword research and um, wrote a, a series of blogs for a brand called Nexpa, who are huge now. Um, uh, they're a sugar-free drinks brand, always loved their stuff. And they were, at the time, the team who were there, they said, no, look, I'm I, I proposed we we create an article around uh, kefir or kefir. I can't remember what it's like. Kefir for dogs, and there was about two hundred and twenty searches a month or something. But you know, low comp, low competition. I was like, I think we should do this, and they were like, No, no, our product isn't for pets. It's not approved for pet consumption. I said, Look, we can. I can write this thing. We can kind of talk about it. Dogs can have water based kefir. That's what you sell, etc. And they were like, No, 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 no. And then eventually they said, Yes, okay. Um, that piece of content, the search volume around kefir for dogs now is in the thousands every month, and they are still position four. And they were position one for many years, and now there's a whole heap of other brands that have bought out, you know, actual kefir for dogs, and they're still, I looked at it yes, just yesterday, and they're still position four. And I'm like, I don't know that a piece of AI content would stand, what's that, five years ago? would still be on the first page in five years' time. So it'll be interesting. It will be, but that also, it, it still took a human to see the potential, to have an argument with the brand, to work out how you could position that to make it work and not get them in trouble legally and whatever. It still took a human to kind of define that. Now, you know, the line is, is that AI won't replace content writers, but content writers who use AI will replace content writers. And I think, you know, it is about the prompts and how you, what you feed into the tool, but you still have to feed something into the tool. And then when it comes out, you still have to have the, the now to understand that I can't say that. We legally can't say that in Australia. That's against ARPA guidelines. That's against the financial guidelines. You still need someone at the other end, not fact checking. Anyone can check a fact. But saying, is this the right tone? Let's read the room. You know, mm, is it yep. the right time to be putting out a piece of content about this right now? What just happened in the news yesterday? You know, mm. there's so many factors. And and seeing those trends, I mean, if you typed Harry and Meghan into the search engine seven years ago, it would have brought back nothing. So, so you know, the world changes, we evolve. Um, and it is it, obviously generative AI is a huge, huge change. But I don't think we should be terrified. You know, I'm tired by it. I must admit, I feel tired yes. by it, but I don't feel terrified. I do too. I feel like it's just, it's it's one more thing to kind of have to keep your head around and keep on top of. But I really love what you said at the beginning around, you know, pick your experts and then ignore the rest of the noise. Because I think I've definitely got into a bit of a spiral of comparisonitis. And yes, I have too. 
It's LinkedIn. It's blooming LinkedIn. Yes. It's the devil's work. I try and stay off that platform. I, I, what's it called? I, I post and, and piss off because um, <laughs> I just don't want to consume other people's content on there because yeah. everyone's an expert. Literally no people who a month ago knew nothing about ChatGP and now are experts. Yeah. And I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do that. You can go hard on a topic for a month, but it, it, it God, just, I'm, 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 I've seen it all before. I think I'm a little bit jaded. There'll be a new thing coming along fairly soon. I don't want to be that person who said, oh, the internet's never going to take off. Uh, it, of course it will take off and it will be amazing. And we'll all enjoy it as long as we're not frightened of it. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And I think as well, like it was something I said on a comment yesterday on LinkedIn, um, uh, I used a word or a phrase that I've seen so much and I just, I feel like is, is totally out there everywhere. And I had two people comment on it, comment on it and say, oh, I've never heard that before. This is it. And I'm like, oh, it's just our own little echoed. We're in a bubble. I was on a call. I've used this example. I was on a call and I was talking to someone about how they could drop all these oddly shaped logos into one canvas on Canva and export them. And they'd all be the same size. And he was like, what's Canva? <sighs> wow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we think, we think these things are common knowledge. People don't know about it. Even if they know about it, they don't understand it. Even if they understand it, they don't want to use it. Um, and that's true of so many parts of marketing, mm. you know, number of people who've gone through my course, they know everything about SEO. They're perfectly capable of doing it themselves, but they don't want to. Mm. And therefore there will always be a role for us to help the people who don't want to. Let's pause for a moment and look at all the SEO advice. There will always be work for the doers as no brand can be the expert in all the things. And that takes me back to those boring fundamentals. Brands must figure out the space they want to own and then put the blinkers on and not look elsewhere because all that does is create stress and tension in life. And we have enough stress and tension just running businesses whilst looking after a family, right? Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about Kate's new book, Six Figures in School Hours. Within that book, she manages to give an extraordinarily honest insight into what it's like trying to be a good parent whilst running a business. So let's finish in a similar place to where we began, juggling all the balls. But this time, I wanted to know how Kate has gone with the juggle as her own son has grown. Yeah, so I mean, I think the first year is just shit. All the way up until a bit of daycare helps a lot and that freed up my world a bit, but not much really. Do you know what I mean? If we're honest, you, they go and you're like, you just want to lie on the floor and weep for half the day. And then you realize they're coming back and you try and do something. My business didn't really take off until my son went to school. That was when I started doing all the kind of big, sexy things that you see now about 2015. So my son would have been five, six. So that was a big pivotal, I used the word pivot, pivotal year for me. And then you know, I think the great years, the easy years with your kids are seven, eight, nine, and 10. Really, they're great. You know, they can feed themselves. They can do everything. They're really pleasant. They're biddable. And then you get to 11. And literally, it was like, if you haven't seen it, there's an amazing Harry Enfield sketch where Kevin, the teenager, turns into a teenager. And it happens over. You've got to watch it. I'll send it to you after this. Um, I saw a massive shift in my son. Um, and now, and a shift in me and my business, I'm so much more mature. You'd be amazed, Sarah. You know, I don't react. I don't get triggered. I don't care. I give, I just, I don't compare myself as much a bit. So now I've got all the time in the world to do whatever I want. And I don't want to do any of it, really. I just want to go and live in a yurt. So it's very annoying 
that in the busiest time in your family life is often the busiest, biggest growth time in your business. And then just as your kids start to get easier, you're like, I don't know if I can really be bothered anymore. I don't know if there's something about that period of driving to have a family. You're also trying to build a home and pay off mortgages and accumulate furniture. You're working on your relationship. It's mental. Mm. It's full on. And then you kind of come out the other side of it and it's 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 bizarre. I've got all the time in the world. I'm bobbing off to Melbourne and Perth and Adelaide and taking a holiday with my best mate. Got all the time in the world now. And I, oh gosh, I wish I could just, you know, watch Finding Nemo again with my six-year-old. It's a shame, you know? It is. Well, I mean, I think Gosh, that's, you know, here we go coming full circle in this podcast, but it comes back to the, the world will wait. It will. I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, your financial situation may not wait, but so you do need to make sacrifices potentially, but, but ultimately, yeah, the world, the world will wait. And me now, eight years in, you know, having gone from, freelancing to growing a bit to shutting the whole thing down to freelancing again to then growing to the point we're at now uh, you know with 20 people and all the rest it's it's absolutely the world the world did wait my kids didn't and I took that time with them and I still get to have a reasonable balance um but I think it's something about really pressing pressing hard on all of those big life things all at the same time that then it's a lot yeah all of the buttons well there's a great book you can read that will help with that but um i think you know i i, I do think that family is for a short period i mean if you do it right you'll always your kids will always come back but you know people always say oh, it goes so quickly you know you're going to you're going to regret it and you can't be like that you need your own sense of self-worth and your own direction you need money for god's sake so, you know, we're not saying that you need to pick or choose, but family is for a short time. There will, and, it's, and again, it sounds smug and flippant. There will always be more money. You will always find something to do. But that period of having your family at home and pack lunches and, you know, all of that, trying to do a Zoom while your kid's gaming in the other room, you'll get to that bit. It's brilliant. Um, it goes, it's going to end. I've got four years left before my son is probably off to university. Um, and then I'll still have him. Hopefully he'll come back forever. He'll probably be living in my garage when he's 47. But, you know, now I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not sacrificing my family time for my business. I am lucky that I have the financial wherewithal to make that decision because many don't. Absolutely. Yeah, so many don't. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, anyone who's in that kind of earlier phase, um, who's trying to make decisions around it, it's, yeah, we're definitely not saying don't do it. Um, like do it, do both the things, have it all, but just if you've, you know, got to make the choice between uh, taking on that new contract next week or perhaps delaying it by a few week, weeks, that's where, you know, the world will wait. Like it's worth going to the assemblies and, you know, going to. Not worth, it's not worth doing canteen though. Don't do no, canteen. No, don't do canteen. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I think you're so, you're so right, and it's it's just yeah, the, the world will wait. I, I, you know, I do think that mantra works pretty well. You can you can have it all, but just not at the same time. There we are, full circle. We're back at that mantra: the world will wait. It's not lost on me that the women working in marketing today, we're likely the first generation trying to figure this out. <gasps> Our mothers may have been the first generation to be told that they can have both and they worked their butts off to get to a point of being allowed the choice between both work and family. 
but now we're working out how to manage that choice from the get-go. Kate has done exceedingly well in her business, juggling all the things and being quite open and honest when she's occasionally dropped some of those balls. And I think that's one of her superpowers. Being honest and open about the struggle is a refreshing way to connect and communicate with both colleagues and clients. And I think it's something that we can all learn to do a little bit more. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to The Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Wabakul and Dark and Jund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions.